just listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Listening to episode 21 of my podcast, Love That Album, Morris is My Name. Uh, many thanks for joining me. Hope uh, uh, you've been enjoying previous episodes. If you're new to this, uh, the purpose behind this show is, well, basically, I talk about an album that I love, or, or as in the case of uh, the previous episode, maybe an album that I don't love, but um, someone on the panel has to love it. And um, as I like to do for uh, just about every one of these shows, I like to line up someone to actually talk about uh, the album under scrutiny for um, uh, the show that we're recording. And this time I have someone new to love that album. Um, This is a show I've been looking forward to for uh, quite a while. Uh, I'm having on the line from uh, Los Angeles, uh, Ricardo Utreras. Have I got that correct, Ricardo? That's that's correct. Fantastic. Well, welcome to the show, Uh, Ricardo is uh, the host of the List Music Podcast. And uh, if you've been listening to the last few episodes, I love that album. I've been plugging the shit out of it because it's a show I really love. Welcome, Ricardo. And please, for the people who um, maybe are new to uh, hearing you, they haven't tuned into uh, the List Music or the List Film Podcast, uh, just give us a little bit about your background. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, basically, I... I, uh, a little bit about myself. I am a writer, director, filmmaker from Los Angeles. And, um, yeah, I, I was, wasn't getting, when, when I, when I'm not working or writing or directing something, I was like, I like to talk about film. Um, the two things I love are music and film. I really, mm-hmm. I love, that's what I love. So how could I talk about it and, but not be like a critic, you know? Yes. I, I didn't. I wanted to kind of like stay away from that. So I thought of, you know, I, I, I kind of came up with the idea, I guess, with watching High Fidelity. I think and watching <laughs> that movie and how they, you know, he, the whole movie is about his his like top ten list, you know. Yes. So so I decided, well, I'm going to start a film one where I talk about film, and then at the same time, I'm like, well, I, I really want to talk about music as well. And in the music podcast, I can actually play clips and people could, you know, hear what I'm talking about. Hmm. So I, I started them at the same time, basically, and. uh we basically uh, pick a, a weekly topic, whether it's um, songs of the '60s, you know, uh, best singers, best guitar players, and we try to also have a, a guest on. And we there's four hosts: myself, uh, Jenny, VK, and Juan. And we basically uh, list off our top five and play uh, clips from the uh, songs. Hmm. So, yeah. Look, I remember when I discovered the podcast, um, thinking. Now, it was, as I think I've gone and said to you in um, emails or Facebook communications, that I thought it was such a simple format that I thought, surely someone else has done this. And in my search, I couldn't find anyone else who'd done it. I mean, simple but absolutely brilliant. And um, uh, I know that uh, another fellow, um, Eric Reanimate, who actually has a segment on uh, my program, 
um, had gone and said that your show made for absolutely addictive listening. And he's completely right. <laughs> and so when you have, um, when you're uh, showing up as you are this time ran with a late episode, um, yeah, I, yeah, I, no. I, I find I'm missing it. So, um, no. really, um, it, it's a great thing that you have. I mean, I, I think I just, I, I went on to, um, Podbean, which is my podcast server and just, typed in, you know, music podcast, wanted to see what else was out there, and I did a bit of searching, and that's how I came across it, so... Um, oh, wow. But, um, uh, yeah, as, yeah, there's, apart from, I think, Sound Opinions, um, which is really a radio show that they just happened to put on for uh, podcasting purposes, is really not much else out there that I, I, I'm really surprised. There's plenty of film podcasts, but not so much yeah, yeah. doing like what we're doing with, with uh, the music. No, yeah, as I, 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 that's how I feel as well. Like I've, I've kind of like looked to see, you know, like I, I really love music. So searching for a good, um, uh, music podcast was very difficult. And I'm glad you found me because then I found you mm. because, or else I wouldn't have. It, it's hard to search because there's so many podcasts on iTunes and Podbean that it's hard to like sift through every single one. And uh, but yep. I'm glad I, I found you as well. Mm. Mm, no, thanks for that. That's terrific. Um, so. A question for you, because you know, in your role as a filmmaker, so whenever you listen to music, do you ever like hear the tunes? Do you hear anything cinematically? Do you think, wow, that'd really work in a film that I'm making, or that would work well in uh, you know this type of film? Or do you just you know like a lot of people just listen to the music for for its own sake? Um, for the most part, yeah, I, I feel that way. I usually, um, even when I'm writing, I kind of like to have some music in the background or. And especially like if I hear a new piece of music or something, I'm like, oh, this would be good for a car chase or for this or for mm. that. And, and also when, when I see movies play music, I get really jealous. Like I'm like, ah, oh, I can never use that song now. <laughs> I mean, they've now used it. So yeah. it's, it's out of the runnings for me. So uh, okay. I get terribly jealous as well. So like, okay. So basically in our uh, recently, in our recent correspondences, you said that you've been, uh, wrapping up work on, um, on a film that, uh, you're, currently been making so um musically what are you doing for that i probably should be asking actually about the film as well but just first of all from a musical perspective are you uh, have you commissioned someone to write their own music you're using existing music what are you doing with it well yeah um i i kind of started off um the 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 short it's first of all it's a short film it's like about 26 30 minutes long mm-hmm. um and basically as as I got the script, because my uh, my girlfriend she's an actress and and she wrote it and I really enjoyed it and um, I you know I, I was like I want to be involved and we started to do the pre production and I started kind of listening to like my music library and seeing like well I, there's a lot of really um you know well known music that I'd like to have but I know it's going to cost me an arm and a leg if I if I go and and pursue it it's going to mm. cost a lot to 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 get the rights to it. Yes. So basically, I started looking through my, you know, all the indie bands that I that I like, and I found this girl, who is amazing. Her name's uh, Michelle Blades, and uh, she's a local um, singer songwriter from, uh, I think she's from Phoenix, Arizona. And and I basically sent her an email and said, hey, I, I really enjoy your music, and I would like to use one of the songs for it. And I asked the song, and and that we're kind of that's we're kind of finalizing that. So, but I think I got it. So. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, you you're allowed to um, or feel you're uh, okay to actually talk a little bit about what this uh, latest film project is about? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Uh, it's basically, um, you know, it's a it's a drama about this uh, this girl who um, who has um, 
basically an, an illness that that may may you know end her life, and she's basically has this daughter and her um, ex boyfriend, uh, the, the father of the child, who uh, basically is hasn't grown up. He's still kind of a teenager, and you know she she struggles with that. And then her sister's in town to see, you know to see if she can donate um uh, donate to her illness and. Um, Basically, it's it's like a family drama, mm. thirty minutes long, and it's a it's a it's a de- like a, I I'd say it's a depressing movie, and and I like those. <laughs> I'm a, I like my I like depressing music, and I like depressing films. So, so that that sounds like a lot of uh, subject matter <laughs> for a for a short film. Wow, so uh, you obviously would have had to have um, uh, cut out a lot of a lot of filler, or or, or had, yeah. had your girlfriend actually um, uh, had she kept it concise? I mean. Did you have yeah, to do no. much trimming? Well, well, yeah. Basically, I mean, I um, the where I kind of learned how to write. My, my writing teacher is um, kind of where she went to write the script. He, he had a class, and he basically wrote the script in his class. Mm. So he's very good about you know like kind of cutting out all the fat, and especially because you want to get to the point with these short films, and and you know, and uh, not waste any time because also. It's a 30-minute movie, and you're not watching it in theaters most of the time. So you're watching it either at a film festival or at your house. You know, so it's it's at some sort of website that you found the the, the short film at. Sure. So you want to be like to the point because it's so easy to you know lose people's interest, and then they're just gonna go on to the next film or something. Mm, so. Mm. so, so how are you planning to um, get people to see this? Are you planning on getting it entered into uh, some local film festivals or? Or, or will this purely be like a you know an internet viewing deal? How, how do you no, definitely. Uh, it's short. It's um, film festivals, basically. That's how kind of. I mean, if you're if you're trying to break into the film industry and and you don't have, I mean, even if you have contacts, that's how a lot of people do it. I mean, you see a lot of big directors, you know, putting their movies into like Sundance and you know, the Hamptons Film Festival. So that's kind of how you get your. Um, the word out of, of, of your movie and stuff and mm, mm. develop like a following and stuff through film festivals. Right. So, so uh, have you had so, any previous films that, um, that you had screened at festivals? Yeah. Yeah. I, I had, uh, about two so far. Um, yeah. And, and you know, one of them has gone on to a couple of film festivals and, um, but yeah, so I, I think, but I think out of all the ones, all the short films I've done, I think I'm, this is the most, Fun and the most proud of, of uh, this is the one I'm I'm most happy how it turned out. So, what's the film called? It's called All You Need. All You Need. Yeah. Well, I'm um, I'm really hoping that it uh, makes its way down to one of our short film festivals down here. I might have to. Oh yeah. Send you I, I, send you a couple of details. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would I would love that actually. Mm. Um, all right, so we are a music podcast, I and mean, we love our films down here, but um, this is a music podcast, so let's talk a little bit about uh, music in particular. What have you been listening to of late? Uh, lately, I've been listening to, um, I love, like I said, I love my, my depressing music, and I've been listening to a band called The National, mm-hmm. uh, and they have an album that they released like about a year or two ago uh, called High Violet, and uh, it's really, really good. I've actually been listening to like their two last albums. Which is High Violet and Boxer, and mm. they're pretty. They're pretty amazing. They're kind of, I like to call them like they're adult angst music. Yes. So uh, they're they're really great, and they're from uh, Brooklyn, New York. Right. So, yeah. Okay. And anything else? That, um, 
I mean, obviously, uh, you're, you're obviously listening to a lot of stuff uh, to compile your lists for uh, for the show, but when you're yeah. not sort of compiling show stuff. Uh, there's another band that I just, I, someone just gave me their CD and it was, I really enjoyed it. It's really folky. It's called, um, the band's called the Lumineers and I think their, their album is self-titled as well. And, uh, there are some really good songs. There's a song called Charlie Boy and it's, um, it's really good. You should try to give it a listen. It's a really fantastic band. So they're kind of, they're really folky. What, what were they called again? The, uh, well, the first band is called The National. Yeah, yeah, no, the, and, the second one. And then the, the Lumineers. The Lumineers. Okay. Yeah. And they're really like uh, folky type of like American music. Sounds fantastic. All right. Um, so yeah, just a couple of things I've been listening to late. You mentioned um, depressing music, and now I, I, I can't remember if it was you or Juan who's a big fan of Elliot Smith. But um, oh, it's me. Okay. Well, well, we both are. We both are. Okay. Well, just in in um, the last week or so, I dug out my copy of EXO. Um, I know that. Um, uh, I guess a lot more of the um, uh, hip indie people will be saying uh, that they prefer either or, but um, EXO really is a fantastic album for me. I think you know he, he developed his songwriting craft. Um, the, the the song the, the the lyrics, or in some cases, can be pretty depressing, but uh, the music is truly a thing of beauty. Um, and uh, you know, songs like Tomorrow Tomorrow sound like. Wow, that could have come out of the uh, Simon and Garfunkel songwriting book. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And and I I always go in between this. You know, it depends. When you ask me, uh, I'll switch between this and the and uh, you know either or. I, mm-hmm. I always, it's always um, depending my mood is, is what what album I like best. Oh, look, they're they're both great albums, but um, for me at the moment, this is the one that's uh, uh, getting me to the CD player. Um, yeah. I remember, I think it might have been, oh, I don't know. Well, it was 2003 when this came out, was it? Um, yeah, yeah. So at the time, one of our um, public radio stations, this sort of didn't make mainstream radio, but one of our great public radio stations was um, playing Waltz Number 2, which is the single, I think at the time, quite a lot. And um, uh, I think it was my wife who gone and you know she called me up at work and said listen i've heard this really great song go out and buy the single i've just fallen in love with this song and um it was only like once i bought the single that i kept hearing it on the radio up until that point i hadn't and um you know bought bought the single then bought the album just yeah as i said fell in love he um he actually did make it once to australia played at uh, one of the local pubs here in melbourne um which i unfortunately didn't get to see but uh on the support bill um was um uh, a band from Melbourne called the Ice Cream Hands, which is um, certainly one of my very, very favourite pop bands. They, you know, made three-part harmony, or actually, no, I think all four of them. So four-part harmony uh, singing, as well as you know, sort of having a bit of a big star sound to them. Uh, so there, uh, there would have been a great double bill, uh, Elliot Smith and the Ice Cream Hands. So anyway, EXO's been on my CD player over the last week, um, and also speaking of. Uh, great multi-part harmonies. Um, there's uh, an Australian uh, a cappella group called the Idea of North. Um, I believe they're no strangers to um, touring around uh, the states. Um, of course, uh, a cappella is quite big. Again, over there in the states, I know with uh, yeah. that show, the Sing Off, we don't get it down here at least, or maybe it's on pay TV, but we don't have that. So, but um, well, there's so there's so many singing uh, like. Um, a music uh, shows now, like reality music shows. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I've got a lot of those, but yeah, like, and I think that's 
Also, there's a show. I don't know if you have you've gotten it yet. Um, it's a sh- like a like a a school kid show, and it, and it's it's about the, um like a like a Glee Club, and it, the show's called Glee, and oh, yeah, it's yeah, all about had, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we've had we've had Glee. Um, my um my daughter is watching it, and sometimes when um uh when I hear you know some of the things that they say in the show, you know they talk about some of the subject matter. I'm thinking, why is why am I letting my ten year old daughter watch this? <laughs> I um, know. But um, you know, I can only do so much as her father. So, um, but yeah, so um, yeah, she's she's quite addicted to that. Um, the I, but fortunately, she's also quite heavily into this group. I mentioned the idea of North. They're from Sydney, um, but I'm not even sure how often they're there. They tour around Australia a lot. They tour around Asia and have um, uh, have been in America a number of times. Um, they they alternate between some of their own. Uh, songwriting material but you know, a good chunk of the time they're um doing their own arrangements of um well-known uh well-known songs some in a latin vein um but uh also a hell of a lot in a pop vein and this latest album of theirs came out i think about the middle of last year called extraordinary tale um and for mine um th- their interpretation of uh, the beatles in my life is, is just absolutely gorgeous but um yeah, no, it's a, it's truly a lovely album. I know. I, I think there might have been a few people who might have said that they were a little bit disappointed in it, but you know, what do they know? Um, <laughs> and um, uh, another, uh, just yeah, I think. Well, okay, I'll talk about one more. Um, and there's an there's a, a group from the fifties. There's a compilation of uh, a group called the Coasters. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess probably quite well known for um, for a lot of the songs that they covered or that they wrote. Um, oh, sorry, Get started again. Get, get it right. Uh, a lot of the songs that they <laughs> did, uh, as written by uh, the great songwriters Lieber and Stoller, um, who were you know, hit makers for any number of fifties uh, and sixties um, performers, They're a really fantastic songwriting team. Uh, so they do songs by Lieber and Stoller and by uh, the likes of Doc Thomas. So um, this uh, great compilation has uh, songs uh, the like of you know Down in Mexico, Yakety Yak, and Poison Ivy, all really well known. Um, yeah, and uh, Young Blood, which I think was a Doc Thomas song, but there are a couple of songs on the album as well, which um, feature from a group called the Robins, which I believe a couple of the members of uh, the Coasters had started off in, and um, uh, really wonderful, uh, very well-known songs, Smokey Joe's Cafe and Riot and Cell Block Number Nine, really just a, a really fun group. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know if they were technically classified as doo wop, but um, Certainly R&B with a bit of a doo-wop flavor, and I'm, I'm really a sucker for that sort of thing. Um, and the, the Robins were like a 70s band, correct? Uh, no, 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 50s. Really? 50s. 50s. I mean, oh, may, wow. may, uh, look, maybe the name got reused, but um, yeah. but uh, the coasters sort of got started in the wake of um, of uh, the Robins. Um, oh, okay. And, and, and like, doing a little bit of research about them, it, it seems like you know, several members of the group, and like certainly there were a lot of people who, could count themselves as uh, the coasters um, over the years. In fact, I think there is still a version of the coasters probably doing, I don't know, maybe the Las Vegas uh, casino circuit or something like that. But um, uh, a few members of the group had uh, met rather nasty deaths over the years, you know, murdered and the like. So um, oh, wow. uh, it's, it's pretty pretty tragic stuff. But um, but uh, at least in their day, um, that they uh, they really left their their mark. Um, and, and they recorded for uh, the Great Atlantic label, 
um, always a hallmark of uh, great R&B quality. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, as I said, a, a great compilation of theirs, the very best of the coasters. So if uh, you like uh, the songwriting of Lieber and Stoller coupled with um, some great vocal harmonies, and uh, I'd urge you to search that out. All right. Well, um, anyway, that's um, uh, the first segment of the show. Um, I actually, I don't think to this point we've actually discussed yet what uh, the focus of uh, this uh, particular program is going to be. Now, um, Ricardo and I were, you know, sort of talking about it. We knew that um, uh, he wanted to come on, and I wanted to have him on the program, but um, I wasn't really quite sure, despite knowing what he liked via the list. Um, I wasn't sure what album we could discuss that we both knew in common. And so Ricardo sent me a list of uh, 10 albums or so. Um, and um, I think in the end, we nailed it down to um, the debut album from The Doors. Um, I, I know that uh, The Doors is an album that uh, uh, the list's VK absolutely loves, doesn't she? <laughs> she she loves it. Yeah, she <laughs> loves it. Bye. By loves it, uh, she means she hates it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, so um, I, I take it she's not going to be listening to this program, is she? No, no, um, I don't think so. Uh, never mind. Maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So um, okay, what we'll do? We'll take a bit of a break, and um, then we'll come back and uh, do some talking about the doors in general and um, the album in specific. All right. Um, we'll be back in a minute. Uh, Morris and Ricardo here. You're listening to Love That Album. American Dream He's just a common man The American Dream, Dusty Rose is. I'm coming to you live and in living color Speak to you The American People A podcast called Silver Gold Daddy you know that the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, knows how to bring home the gold, daddy. And just like Henry Silva sticking Baba Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling, Silva and gold will stick it to you, stick it to your ears, stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, daddy. And all points in between, they'll take your listening pleasure. And stick it between a sow's caucus hanging from the ceiling, daddy. Silver and gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. And we're back from break. Morris here. Ricardo over there in Los Angeles. It, I think it's, I just love this whole Skype thing. It means that, you know. Here, here I am. It, it's like you know, approaching midnight over there. The day is just starting for you, and we're on opposite sides of the world, and yet we can have music discussion. I just think it's wonderful. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty amazing this technology. Mm. Now, um, we were about to get started talking about the doors, but uh, you mentioned that you had a couple of bits of uh, music news, so go for it. Yeah, um, well, first of all, there's a, a good a band I, I forgot to mention earlier. Um, I dig them. They're um, they're an Australian band, actually. They're called the Temper Trap. I don't know if they're too poppy. They're they're, but, uh, very, they're very popular here. But being the old yeah. fart that I am, I've sort of I mean, look, someone went and um, uh, ran a copy of the album past me, and it, it it didn't sort of do a whole lot for me. But I'd be interested to know what it was about that appealed to you. 
I just really enjoyed like a couple of the songs. I I I had um the re- the way it came to me was um I was I had a neighbor who was Australian and he was like he had a bunch of new music and he's like look this is what's kind of what I just got before I left and he gave me a bunch of stuff and well this was one of the CDs one of the like first CDs and I started listening to it and I really started enjoying it and then um one of the tracks came on for a in in a movie uh 500 days of summer and then then it caught, they really caught on here because of that movie but I really enjoy them they're really poppy and their new album's coming out, I think, May eighteenth over there, and then okay. June fifth here in the U.S. And okay. So they're pretty, they're pretty fun band. Okay. And have they? Um, have you had a chance to see them? Have they? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Actually, I got to see them maybe like about a two about a, two years ago, I think, a year or two ago, and they were really fun live. I know they there's some videos on YouTube where they're they're not performing very well, and and they they've been criticized about that, but. I think it just, they just must have not had, uh, you know, a good day because when I saw them, they were really fun, really energetic, and uh, I had a lot of fun. Okay. And, and what, then, what, sort uh, of, what sort of venue did they play over there? I mean, was it like the, a medium size or a big, big it was, or an arena? Or where it was a, a medium size, like it wasn't, it wasn't very big, but uh, it was completely sold out. So they could have done a couple nights, and I think they're coming back. I think this this June, okay. and they they've got. A bigger venue, and they've gotten multiple nights. So, oh wow, very exciting. That's uh, yeah. that's cool. And what and else? Then my my other my last um, music news is um, I I I think I researched it, and you guys you guys get that show Mad Men, correct? Yes, yes, we do. Well, we're on the fifth season, and uh, I they did something I'd never seen before, which is they were able to get a Beatles song. Ah, on the show. wow. Yeah, and that was when I when when I was watching the sh- this this the show just aired last Sunday, and I'm I'm listening to it and I'm seeing him pull out the record and I'm like no, oh, they're not gonna they're gonna have a band that sounds very much like the Beatles, but not the song. Mm. And nope, sure enough, the he put on the uh, the the record and it was a Beatles song, and I was thoroughly amazed that that they were able to afford the the song. They, well, they, they, I mean. The, the show has been extremely popular and, and no doubt, uh, uh, no doubt they, they probably, you know, with each season, you know, the budget can be increased and things like that can be yeah. afforded. But I guess, you know, given how historical the show is, I mean, you know, really, it, it's, you know, something of an education to hear, you know, we are in, um, you know, 2012 and we're, you know, it, I mean, that's only, oh God, only, you know, 45, 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, and yet it, you know, it still seems like a time capsule, really. Um, but to be, you know, to be talking about that time and not bringing up the Beatles almost seems, uh, seems, um, you know, would be really strange. So, um, yeah. And that was, that was my only complaint about the show is, was the fact that they hadn't really done popular music, you know, and on the show. And I was glad they, they were able to do it because now, like, that's the only thing they needed. Like, hey, we're we're always talking about advertising, but we're not talking about jingles and music and yeah. stuff like that. So, what did they yeah. what did they play? They played a song off uh, Revolver. They played Tomorrow Never Knows. Oh wow, fantastic yeah. choice. Yeah, yeah. So that was fun. I look forward to seeing the show in uh, in that context. My wife in yeah. particular is a huge Mad Men fan. I have to tell tell her about that tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Mm. All right. Okay. So um, the purpose of our uh, podcast tonight at least tonight from my perspective is um to talk about 
the first album from The Doors, just called The Doors. They haven't used any of their music. Well, they won't have used them yet in Mad Men. be interesting to see whether uh, they get to it. Um, so let me ask you, when did you first listen to The Doors? Well, um, I was born... I was, I was, I'm a little younger than, than this, this band. Uh, I was yes. born in, I was born in 81. So, um, I, th- this was actually, I, I guess the reason I picked this was, this is the, this, this was the first album I went out and bought, like with my own money. Okay. And I was, I was in school and I, I remember saving up money and, and, and going to the store and, and this is the first album I bought. Right. And I still own it. I still, I, I, I mean, it's been years, and I still own that same, very same album. So, so what had happened was it, you know, just like a particular friend had gone and said, "You really have to hear this." Or, or I had, I, I had a couple of friends that were older, and and I kind of, I, I hung out with them in school, and the one of them was one, one of the guys was obsessed with the Doors, and I'm like, "What is this? What is this guy keep talking about the Doors? Who the hell are they?" Mm. And and I, I said. I, I'll, you know, could you give me, and back then they still had tapes. And, and he said, okay, I'll make you a mixtape and mm. I'll put some doors, some, some different songs. Okay. And I think, um, the song that, that really got me was The End. And, and that's the song he put on the tape. And I really kind of just fell in love with him off mm. that. Mm. Mm. Um, it's, uh, I guess for me, I mean, cause I didn't get into them until, you know, years after the fact. I mean, I, I was, well, I, I'm I'm born of that era, but obviously, you know, being too young to sort of be into them yeah. at the time. But uh, I think it was maybe about my 18th birthday when a close friend gave me um, uh, a record that is vinyl of uh, their greatest hits. Uh, might have been you know, sometime in the early 80s. And that was maybe just before the whole 80s Doors revival. Um, all of a sudden, you know, People were wearing Jim Morrison T-shirts. Their records were being played on the radio quite a lot, as if they were a current band. And yeah, you know, yeah. I, I got to admit, at the time um, when when I first started listening to this greatest hits album, uh, the music really did sound very fresh. Um, my, I mean, my question to you is: How do you think that their music and this album in particular holds up? I think I think it holds up really well. I think I think just the way I think about film, like there's some there's some music and some film that that is great and is very influential and they they may be considered masters, but it doesn't hold well. Like I, I always put this uh, film, for example, um, Rebel Without a Cause. You know, James mm. Dean. Everybody loves that movie, yep. and the thing is, it's influential. I think, but it's not something that holds up well. I I don't relate to it when I watch it. And, and the doors is, is like a film that I relate to. It, 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 uh, it speaks to people back there, back then, as it does now. And I think, um, the music isn't, I don't feel like it's dated. I never listen to the doors and think, oh, this is, you know, a 60s, 70s band. I mm. never think that. So, mm. oh, look, certainly the, um, the influence that they've left have loomed large. I mean, I guess as, as much as I want to sort of deny it, because I really do think that this is the doors, not Jim Morrison and band. But um, Morrison's influence, you know, he he really wrote a new, maybe not the rule book, but he wrote a rule book for uh, for a certain type of lead singer um, and you know an Australian band which I never really cared for, but uh, you know in excess Michael Hutchins, I reckon probably learnt all his moves off Jim Morrison. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. 
But um, really, I, look, I, and I, once again, I don't want to undermine uh, Morrison because, like, you know, I, I love not so much the stage presence that he had, but uh, you know, being um, being a fan of of voice. Um, I love his baritone voice, but um, uh, I often feel, you know, the, it's always talked about, you know, oh yeah, Jim Morrison, and I often feel that. There's not enough credit, at least maybe not in the general populace, um, given to Ray Manzarek, Robbie Krieger, and John Densmore. And I, I often wonder, you know, would Morrison have been a star without these guys as his sympathetic uh, uh, band? Um, really, they were a band, of course. You know, they've, uh, at every turn, Ray Manzarek in particular, I think, has uh, done his best to try and crush the legacy by trying to make as much money as he can but um, um, but certainly you know for the day the music itself um, their their sympathetic leanings and it also helped I guess a bit that they all came from very diverse musical backgrounds that they somehow managed to make work I mean you know Ray Manzarek was you know a very classically trained keyboard player and Robbie Krieger had um, I think something of a flamenco uh, yeah, background yeah. as well as uh, blues leanings and you know Densmore would have uh, probably ended up in um, any number of fine jazz ensembles had he not made it with The Doors. And uh, really, uh, the only other band that I can think of that had that wide range of uh, background and really made it work is a British band I've written about when I started doing the blog, um, and I really ought to do a, a podcast on them, uh, a group called The Pentangle. Um, and they, they were sort of like touted as something of a super group. Their most well-known member would have been uh, the guitar player, Bert Janch, who um, oh. unfortunately died, I think, last year. There's actually an album that you ought to check out of his, a solo album called uh, L.A. Turnaround. Um, some really fine music on that. But um, but I digress. We're talking about the doors, not the pentangle. We'll <laughs> do the pentangle at some other some other stage. Um, so, I guess, you know, like other bands... That you know the Doors could have been compared to of the day. I guess when you know bands like Jefferson Airplane, but I yeah. prefer to sort of like see them more in terms of groups like uh, the Stooges and um, Arthur Lee's band Love. In fact, I think Arthur Lee was responsible for getting um, uh, Zach Holtzman, the um, uh, the president of Electra Records, to go see the Doors. He wasn't initially that enthused, and but yeah. you know Arthur Lee convinced him go down and see this band. Yep, yeah. And and I think you, you you touched on something you said a little earlier ago that that you don't know if they would have uh I don't think they they would have had the long Jim Morrison wouldn't have had the longevity he had I think if not for the whole group. I think it, it's it's I I like the group not Jim Morrison. Everybody mm. loves the Jim Morrison shirts and and I I'm, I I really think it was about the group and not Jim Morrison. I mean, I think he would have had success but he wouldn't have had the uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't he didn't didn't have the longevity that mm. that the band has you know and and I think it's a it's a group thing not a not a Jim Morrison thing mm, mm. for um, me for me personally no no well I, I I think for any serious music fan who absolutely loves them um they'd uh, yeah it it would be the Doors not the Jim Morrison band yeah now a, a few episodes back of uh, love that album I was doing a show with um, uh, a Melbourne music guru, Billy Pinnell, and we were talking, this is, and it was his choice, we covered L.A. Woman. Um, so we're going like from that show, which covered their final album, at least their final album with Jim Morrison, um, to their first album. Um, 
Now, how do you feel about, you know, how the two albums compare? I mean, you know, they're, they're quite different, you know, LA Woman being a more, uh, rootsy blues album, really, at the end of yeah. Morrison's time with the Doors. Um, and, and, um, you know, their self-titled debut is quite different yet again. But do you, do you see any, um, uh, like there was any improvement in songwriting over the years or do you, do you have a preference? What are your thoughts in comparison between the two? I, I don't have a, a preference per se. It's, it's like I said, like, it's kind of like, like our podcast list. If you change the date, like if, if you said we're going to do it Wednesday instead of Monday, the podcast, I definitely have, I would have, I wait till the last minute to make my list because every day changes. And I feel the same way about, about these albums is that, you know, any, any given day of the week, I'll change, you know, depending on my mood, which album I love. Uh, more than the other, mm. and I th- I think that um that's what I like about the Doors that I I think a lot of people crap on like the Soft Parade, but yes. I I really enjoyed it. Sometimes that's one of my favorite albums, and that's what I like about them that they changed. You know, it wasn't the same um the same songs over and over. It was very very eclectic and very different, definitely. So mm. I well, I applaud them for that that they had that that difference in between albums. Mm. Well, actually, even within the albums, we um as we'll get to when uh, we start talking about the album proper, because it's it's amazing that songs like Take It As It Comes, uh, you know, uh, you know, very poppy sort of thing, is featured on the same album as a song like, uh, well, The End or Break On Through, which are you know, yeah. really completely different. But we'll, we'll get to that in turn. Um, now, I think before we started recording, we're you know, talking about the fact that, well, you know, not everyone is so enamoured with The Doors, in particular your... Uh, list co-presenter VK. Um, she has mentioned on past episodes that she, I think, she'd sooner go, you know, put an ice pick in in her ear <laughs> than than listen to the doors. I, I might not be quoting there, but that's a general perception I got. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, not necessarily in VK's case, but do you think that there are people out there who maybe don't like them either because they genuinely don't like the music? Or as so often happens when a band becomes, you know, so ubiquitous, their music is played on golden oldies radio, and they're shoved in your face in the media so much. And we're to- you know, and and filmmakers go make uh, possibly inaccurate uh, <laughs> biopics about uh, their lead singer. That it's just so much in your face that it can be a reaction to how they're everywhere rather than the music. I mean. What do you think? Do you think you know, like what's in VK's case? Is it the music or is it just the fact that they're everywhere? I don't. I, I think, and I mean, knowing VK as long as I've known her, I think she. Um, I think what might be the thing about her is that she doesn't like Jim Morrison per se as a person. I think not, and I don't. I, I don't know if she didn't. If she didn't have that in her head, I think. I think she might actually like the music. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just, I think that's what influences a lot of people as well. That, like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the whole Woody Allen thing. Some people don't like Woody Allen because of his, you know, they personally don't like him. Yeah. It's not yep. that they don't like their, his films. And I feel the same way about, like, Jim Morrison. And even so, like, you know, like, popular, uh, new, newer, uh, acts, like, you know, someone like Kanye West, you know, he has this persona of being, you know, an, an a-hole and you, you, you're, if you don't, if you can't get past that and, and, you know, enjoy the music, you're not gonna, you're not gonna like the band or the mm. singer, so. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that, that, yeah, you're right. That, that can be hard. I mean, look, yeah, there are, 
there there are certain performers out there who I know um, that will uh, knowing something that I know about them that I don't particularly like. I've managed to put you know that aside and still admire the um, uh, the artistry. Uh, I, I understand that that can be difficult. I think I mentioned like in a in an earlier show. I covered uh, Joe Jackson's Night and Day album, mm-hmm. and he's a songwriter who I've admired for years, and yet I've seen him being interviewed on um, on uh, television, and particularly he, he did a, a tour here in Australia, I think back in the early 80s, um, was uh, speaking on a rock program with a journalist who knew her stuff and was not asking dumb questions, and he treated her with the, most, the utmost contempt. Um, that's one thing, and I think he went and wrote this long article on... Um, it went right this long essay. I don't know if it was for like one of the uh, newspapers that just got printed on the net, but uh, saying about you know the uh, the whole thing with the smoking anti-smoking lobby and he wants to smoke and he, it's not been scientifically proven that it's bad for you and in particular he never wants to come to Australia again because it's become <laughs> such a nanny state and he can't even smoke in the hotel room and there I was thinking well gosh I didn't think you were coming to Australia anymore because no one bought tickets to the concert. Um, <laughs> But, you know, so I don't particularly find him a nice guy, but I still strongly admire and love listening to the albums. But, yeah, I can see where um, there are other people who, yeah, I mean, I, I guess Morrison's crimes are worse than just treating uh, or, uh, journalists with some sort of contempt. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, look, the things, I never saw the Oliver Stone film, primarily because I didn't want to see a whole uh, in, you know, Morrison bash fest. yeah. I mean, so I, I take it you've watched it? Yeah, I watched it. It's funny because, I mean, uh, I, I think after I got this album, I went and got uh, watched the movie, I think. And, and for a long time, I couldn't associate Morrison's face to, to Morrison. I always, every time I heard of The Doors, I, I would see Val Kilmer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so th- that was hard to, to forget that, you know, it's not Val Kilmer, it's, it's Jim Morrison. And... I think also uh, uh, the reason people don't like The Doors sometimes is because I feel like when when a band reaches a certain success, they become the man. You know, they they right. they they've, they've either sold out or nah. Well, they're they're now they're now the man, so they they don't want it. <laughs> they, they, they've become what what they didn't want to be, I yeah. guess. And uh, I think that's why sometimes as well people people aren't aren't into them. Yeah, I think people have to get over that, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's probably a fair assessment too, um, and that's that's probably why I would have loved to have had VK accept um, the offer to uh, come on the show just so she could bag the shit out of the album, and um, <laughs> we could say, "Well, you're wrong. You know, we're going to go intervention on your ass," you know, or something like that. But, <laughs> um, all right. Anyway, so let's talk about um, the album uh, in particular. So you know, as as you know, we spoke about you know a few minutes ago. Um, it is quite diverse. Um, you've got you've got pop straight ahead pop filler stuff on this. You've got some stuff that's uh, well, the end, which is this twelve minute stream of consciousness, um, and but it starts off with um, what I think might have been their first single, actually, "Break On Through." Yeah. Um, and I was sort of going to go a bit through this more from a musical perspective rather than just the lyrics because um, as I said you know they, they were a band and I find the music on this really so exciting and I, I love how you know Krieger Robbie Krieger, uh, Robbie Krieger is um, not Robbie Krieger John Densmore 
is uh, playing this great ride cymbal rim shot rhythm in a sort of a bossa nova fashion. It just it draws you in right from the word go. And yep. um, I'm not sure if it's uh, if they actually have a bass player on that or if it's uh, Ray Manzarek playing like on a bass keyboard. You know, this great riff. And um, uh, you know, Morrison starts off, you know, sort of quietly menacing and then just sings in the chorus like a man possessed. Yeah, and and that's I, again that's again why I, I love this album is because it it from song to song it jumps back and forth you know from from uh, something uh, the end definitely is my favorite song and, and that's something that I, I consider like psychedelic jazz and yes. uh, and I I love that song but I like the poppy songs as well I I, I, I see you know why people they were definitely catching why they were singles and stuff mm-hmm. but yeah break on through. I really, really enjoyed it. It was censored for a long time, uh, you know. It, it was. I mean, look, I, I still have a copy of the vinyl which has, you know, the censored version of the song. And then, you know, many years later, I went and bought it on CD. And it was a real shock to hear, oh, they've reinserted that lyric. Oh, yeah. I, I, I still can't get used to it I, I, to this day. Um, for, for the one or two people out there who probably don't know, but I'm sure everyone does, um, there was... Uh, uh, the line in the bridge where Morrison sings, she gets high, but uh, I, I think it might have been at the request of Electra Records. They said, look, we want to make this a single, we want it played on the radio, so we're going to have to cut out the word high. And uh, I'm amazed that you know, the band allowed it. And again, I guess their first record, their first single, their first album, they had no, no power to say otherwise. But... Uh, yeah, to this day, maybe it's just because it was so ingrained to me. I think that just hearing him sing She Gets, She Gets actually works better for me than hearing him sing She Gets High. Yeah, yeah. I, no, and I, I've heard both both versions of it, and I mean, I could get into both. I, I, don't, I, don't, um, I don't like one in particular. I, 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 could, I like both of them. Mm. It, 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 for me, it is really one of the uh, truly great album openers. Um, it really is... A, a, like a calling card. Yeah, um, yeah. It, 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 it definitely sets a, 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 a mood. Mm. And, and for all the fact that um, I guess a lot of people's complaints about uh, the door, even from their admirers, is that some of their lyrics you know, could be a bit pretentious. And maybe that's a whole new argument, a whole new discussion. Uh, but for all of that, I love the lyrics on this. And you know, that opening... That opening verse, you know, you know that day destroys a night, night divides a day, tried to run, tried to hide, break on through to the other side. Um, I, yeah, it, it's just a, it's a great album opener, a great song opener, um, and yeah, really introduces uh, the audience to potential what the band was about, what Jim Morrison's lyrics were going to be about, regardless of whether you liked it or not. Um, in some ways, though, you know, with some of the other songs, possibly why even where it got to be a little bit um, where I couldn't understand what it was he was going on about. Uh, but I tended to think of Morrison's voice, his baritone, as like an instrument. So the lyrics, until I sort of came to sort of think strongly about them for this show, really never mattered that much to me. I just sort of thought, wow, his voice is just another instrument. Yeah, yeah, okay. He's, he's, he's going off on a tangent in his own way, la, 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 but it's a beautiful instrument. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And, and um, I, I, yeah, you, you kind of 
you get past that all the time. I, well, I always forget that that how what a great voice he had. And yeah, I think his his lyrics do get a little. I could see how people find them pretentious. And and same with his poetry. I feel like like when you're younger, 15, 16, you everybody loves Jim Morrison's poetry and his lyrics. And then and then you get a little older and you're like, eh, uh, I like the music. Uh, which I which I think is possibly um, what happened to me because I, I think I was about eighteen when I first heard them. Right. And, uh, and, and now that I'm in my forties, um, yeah, they're, they're, I, I, I've got no time for it. Um, yeah, I, me, I, me neither. I, I still, I still love a, a great but composed lyric. But um, anyway, we'll go, we'll go into that. Um, but also, mind you, having said that, um, it's it's really a bit hard to sort of describe what makes a great uh, song lyric, or what is it? What is a pretentious song lyric? Does that mean that poetry can never be part? Of a song because I, I I think it's often been spoken. I, I do agree that um, great songs are not just poetry set to music. And I mean, you know, like you think about you know early Beatles songs like you know Love Love Me Do You Know I Love You. I mean, it's it's a shit lyric, but it's a great song. Yeah, uh, it's no, it's no, but it's no it's no piece of poetry. So, but does that mean that if if a song does have poetry, it's automatically pretentious? I don't know. Where do you stand? I don't know. I, I, I agree that that with you that I mean some of the Beatles songs are, are not you know if you just if you just uh, read the lyrics they're not uh, they're not that uh, that deep. No. Uh, but but they make for amazing songs and and I don't I don't I don't I could go either way on that all the time. Like I, I always love when there's some great lyrics and there's some great poetry and and I reading I, I love that I do love that when when you when you're like okay. I love this song. What, what's the lyrics to this? Because sometimes mm. you you glaze over the lyrics, and when you sit down and kind of read the lyrics, you're like, oh wow, this is this is actually a really good poem. You know, this is this is this is fun and, and it's deep and it's got definitely something to say. Um, but I also don't mind that some songs just totally forget that and just go, hey, we want to make a fun song you can dance to. Mm, mm. All right, well, well we'll head on down to um, next song. So <clears throat> Soul Kitchen. Which I gotta confess is not one that ever did anything for me. I know some people sort of um, see it. So I don't have a cough button. Excuse me. <coughs> um, uh, Soul Kitchen is sort of being like you know, his uh, musically the tribute to um, uh, soul music to James Brown in particular. I think I've heard compared to, uh, but uh, no, it wasn't anything that ever really did anything for me. Maybe because it's just a groove-related song that didn't go anywhere. But, um, is that one that you particularly like? Um, I definitely like how it's set up that it's a second song on this because it definitely like uh, Break On Through is definitely a little faster paced song, you know. And then this kind of brings you down a little bit and it kind of just groups a little bit. And I, it's not a particular song I I, I love and I, I I play over and over, but I definitely you know I I like that where it's at in the album. Mm. Um. So apparently, um, from what I've read, it's, it's supposedly about uh, uh, Jim's favorite soul food restaurant in Venice Beach. Does it still exist? I don't think it exists. I think I think the only thing that exists right now is uh, I think it might be only uh, Morrison Hotel. I think that's the only thing that's around still. <laughs> so you, know, you can't you can't go and do a tour you, of uh, the Los no. Angeles tour of uh, all the doors highlights. No, well, you, I think you could still go to his old house up in the um, Hollywood Hills, which I live. Down the street from, but uh, but uh, but yeah, I think that I think the only the only thing that's still up is like 
And I think they might have even tore down that house, like half of it, and they kept oh. some of some of the rooms that that you stayed in. So. Actually, so, so this is another question. Just so, something I just sort of thought of, um, because you know you're you're living in LA. Um, I mean, there, I, I guess some bands they transcend uh, geography, you know, the region where they came from. Uh, but are, are the Doors still seen like you know, within Los Angeles as ah oh, yeah they were our band, they were an LA band, or, or they just transcended that? They were just a great American band. I think I think um, when you when you reach that success, I think that you become an American band and not a. I think I still consider them an LA band. Like, hey, when 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 I talk to friends that aren't from LA and we're talking about bands, you know, where they're from, where I'm from, you definitely, you know, you. Um, I like to take ownership of that. But but I think I think to the world they become an, an American band and not they're they're not known for being the LA band. They're known mm. for being that American band. Mm. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the next song in the album, the Crystal Ship. I often thought that if Frank Sinatra was going to sing a Doors song, it'd be this one. Because um, you know, when I hear Morrison, I keep coming down to this baritone voice thing. But this is him uh, doing, I think, his crooner thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I, mean, I, I can't imagine Sinatra singing words like the days of bright and filled with pain enclose me in your gentle rain. But certainly there could have been a different set of lyrics there uh, to the same melody. Um, yep. Sinatra yeah. would have had a good time with that one. Yeah, you know, I, I, now that you say it, I totally see it. I totally see Frank Sinatra, you know, with a big band singing the song. I, and uh, I, I, that's something I'd love to hear, actually. Um, Gosh. No, well, I wonder if there's a... Uh, a, a, a there, there are plenty of um, Elvis impersonators. I wonder if there's a, yeah. a Sinatra impersonator out there who'd uh, take that job on. Yeah, Get uh, yeah. Michael, Michael Bublé to do it. Ah. Right. I'm sorry, we don't mention Michael Bublé on this Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, certainly the, the beauty of the melody, um, it, it's what I really like is the great sense of dynamic that the band has there. Um, you know, so they started out with, you know, break on through this really full-on vicious assault on your senses. And here they are, they're really pulling back. And Manzarek, who's more known, like, you know, I guess as an organ player, but there's just a beautiful little piano passage in here. Um, I can almost forgive him for you know, that crappy line, a thousand girls, a thousand thrills. Um, but then again, <laughs> maybe it's, you know, it's, it's of the time. I guess that's another thing. It's a bit hard maybe to uh, talk about lyrics from 2012's perspective when you know, yeah. this is recorded in, what, 1967. Yeah. No, definitely. I, I, I feel like, like, like you lose some of the... Um, some of the meaning, you know, so there was different different time, and 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 uh, definitely as as society, we we've evolved. And sometimes when you, you do listen to some lyrics, and you're like, "What were they thinking? What were they? What are they talking about this? Well, why are we talking about a thousand girls?" Yeah, and uh, and it, yeah, but but definitely, um, this is one of the where we started getting into some of the songs I really really love. Crystal Ship, I really really enjoy, and uh, I think it was written for an old girlfriend he had or something. I think. Okay. Okay. Not not Pamela. No, no. It was. I think it was. It was a previous girlfriend before Pamela. From what I from what I've read. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, they follow up with um, what must have seemed like a great idea at the time for a pun to uh, 
write a song called 20th Century Fox. Um, that, that's definitely a song of its time. I don't know, does anyone over there still call uh, a good-looking woman a fox? No, never. I've never heard anybody say that's a fox. Never. <laughs> so you're not going to go back to, you know, recording the next list episode and say to Jenny or VK, hey, you're looking mighty foxy then. No, never. 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 Uh, I'll never song... work with you again. <laughs> um, this song, I, I always thought 20th Century Fox. I'm surprised no one's ever used it when making a, a movie for, for 20th Century Fox. No <laughs> one's, no one's, I, I've always had the idea, like, if I made a movie with, with 20th Century Fox, I would definitely open up with the song. I'm surprised that 20th Century Fox didn't see fit to sue them. Had that song been recorded today, Oh, um, definitely. It, it, it would have been sued so fast. Um, so, I mean, lyrically, I sort of see this song, not, not musically so much, but lyrically I sort of see this as maybe uh, a companion companion piece to uh, the kink song, Dedicated Follower of Fashion. Um, I, I, although, mind you, I, I think I heard somewhere that um, uh, Hello, I Love You was supposed to be um, a rip-off of a, uh, of a kink song, but I can't often off the hand think what it is. Wow, there is a kinks doors relationship. I'll have to think about this before we finish off the show, see if I can work it out. Maybe it'll be on a um, Wikipedia page, but I yeah. think I heard somewhere that there was, there was suppose, there were accusations of uh, plagiarism there. But anyway, but not on this one, but lyrically, um, you know, they, they both seem to cover about uh, people who you know, follow... Follow, well, maybe not so much in this case, follow the fashion, but you know, he sings she's fashionably lean and she's fashionably late. She won't waste time on elementary talk. She's a 20th century fox and she's got the world locked up inside a plastic box. So someone who's above us all, a bit like the, uh, the follower of fashion in, um, in the kinks, dedicated follower of fashion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so. this, one, this one's definitely one of the like poppy songs that, that I could... Um, I don't necessarily like listen to over and over. Mm. Yeah, it, it is one that I like. Um, I, I, I sort of see, yeah, maybe this was a little bit throwaway, a little bit lightweight, and yet, I mean, there's there's certainly a couple of songs like you know, Soul Kitchen um, that I thought, yeah, well, that's throwaway, but not good throwaway. This is this is throwaway, but but good throwaway. It's it's a song that if there wasn't, if there weren't songs as strong as the end and Light My Fire and Break On Through. Um, it would have been a song you know, anyone else would have been quite proud to have uh, to have written. So you know, it's just by comparison, maybe it seems like way, but it's still you know quite a quite a good little poppy number. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because I I enjoy uh, Soul Kitchen a lot more than I enjoy the song. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, the, I guess the thing that they both have in common they're both groove songs. You know, they're yeah. Just sort of both playing off a riff over and over, but um, yeah, and I, I guess I have a little bit of time for you know. A bad pun like this. She's a 20th century fox. <laughs> so, um, so then, yeah, uh, the next one, Alabama song. Now, this has been covered by a lot of people. Um, yes. Um, before I get into your thoughts on this one, um, definitely covered by a ton of people, and you know, some people call it the whiskey bar, the you know, mm. the move over, moon over Alabama, you know. So. Um, but definitely, when you think of the song, who do you think about first? I think I, I still think of the Doors first because yeah. that was the first version I heard. But yeah. um, uh, look, apparently, it's a, it a Brecht 
and Kurt Weill song written for, um, for uh, I'm not sure, an opera or, or a piece of music called The Rise and Fall of the City of Mahogany. I had no idea uh, until I was doing the research. Um, but um, certainly I'd heard the David Bowie version and the Marianne Faithful version. Um, uh, and and uh, Marianne Faithful had done an album, I think, of uh, Brecht music. Um, or Brecht Wild songs and um, uh, I, I suspect her song is probably truer to yeah. um, their original intention. I remember I think you know one one morning uh, while my family was getting ready for school and for work and I just I don't know what I was thinking I just felt like putting on that CD to listen to it while we were getting ready and it really disturbed my 10 year old daughter. Um, I, don't, I don't think she feels quite as bad about the Doors version but, um, but yeah the Marianne Faithful picture I think uh, freaked her out a little bit. Oh well. And, and also I think I think they changed the song a lot didn't they? They, they changed like a verse and um, changed they a couple re- words. Yeah, they, re- they removed the verse and I think you know, he sang uh, show me the way to the next little girl instead of the little boy or something. And yeah, yeah. I think the original one, pretty boy, and then he changed it to little yeah. girl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, the thing that I like about this music, I mean, okay, well, first of all, it's a stack different from anything else on the album, and, uh, you know, possibly apart from the fact that uh, Morrison is a crack fan. You can't imagine how else his song would have appeared on, on the album. But the thing that I really like, I'm not sure if it's a dulcimer, but it certainly sounds like a dulcimer um, in uh, the middle of the song. Um, and it reminds me, I don't know if you're a fan of uh, the film The Third Man. Um, yeah, yes. And, and you know, the, the, the music, the Harry Lyme thing, um, that's played from that. Whenever I hear this version of the song, I, I go straight back to thinking of The Third Man. Oh, yeah, um, I, I can I see that. I see that. Mm. I, I I never really sat down and thought about it, but now that you bring it up, yeah, I totally see that. There's songs like that that kind of like just put you in a certain scene in a certain film, and, and mm. uh, yeah, and this is I definitely now that you mention it, I will every time I hear the song, it will now remind me of that. Hooray, mission accomplished! Actually, I got I had I had the uh, good fortune to see it uh, on the big screen. We have a beautiful repertory cinema here in Melbourne um, called the Astor. Uh, and it's uh, the last, I think, in Melbourne of the single screen cinemas, you know, Art Deco. And um, they have something different on every night. But they often uh, have, like, you know, one or two week seasons of great classic films. And a few years ago, they had, I think it was a double feature of uh, Orson Welles' film, The Evil Touch, and uh, The Third Man, um, run for two weeks. It was just, you know, jaw droppingly wonderful double feature and to get to see it on the big screen is absolutely magic. We're a little bit worried here though. I think that the lease for the, um, the Astor owners is up in a couple of years and uh, I think they're trying to start a movement to keep the, the cinema running. I mean, I think the, the, the building can't be destroyed. I think it's protected. It's heritage um, protected, yeah. but I'm not sure that they're going to be able to use it as a cinema, so we've got to start a movement. I th- I mean, we have the same thing happen here in LA. Uh, we, have, we have a local theater called the New Beverly. Yep. And they always play. They only play 35 millimeters. They don't play digital. They always wow. play old old films, double features. And um, it was going to go out of business. And uh, Quentin Tarantino actually came in and bought it. And oh wow, fantastic! That, I love hearing a story like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and he uh, actually for a while I think because um, he was a big fan of the theater. Actually, a couple times I went to see films. I I saw him there. He was always there. Robert Rodriguez was there sometimes. And 
I remember uh, a couple years back, they, they weren't making money, you know, and, and I think Tarantino was just was just paying the rent. He, he was yep. just flipping the bill for the, for the, for the bills. And, and then eventually they're like, well, we have to sell. And he said, well, I'll buy it. And he, he bought it. It's still running and, and now um, still playing, you know, 35 millimeter films. And now they're, they're doing more. Um, they, they have filmmakers come in more and more. So you, you, just the other day I saw. And oh, and they, have, they also have um, directors uh, put on their own program. Like oh. I just saw Edgar Wright put up, um, I think he was a uh, James Cagney film. I, I can't remember. Oh, White Heat. That's what he played White Heat because um, I guess he hadn't seen it and uh, Tarantino let him play that, that film. So do they have their own library of uh, films? I think I think uh, not only do they have their own library. Well, Tarantino has I think an extensive he has an extensive library of uh, 35 millimeter, millimeter film, but I think uh, they also borrow from from different archives. Yep. So yeah. Wow, that's such a great story i think someone's got to get in touch with uh tarantino, tarantino. and yeah. tell him that uh, the astor is in danger and we need him to come and um, need him to come and save it yep so um anyone out there who's listening who knows how to get in touch with quentin please um pass on my email get him to send me a letter and we'll, we'll get things rolling yeah oh, that's a that's a really cool digression what were we talking about oh the doors that's <laughs> yeah. um so the next song on the album is you know, really, the the song I guess that you might say is what they're best known for, uh, and that's "Light My Fire." Um, what was your memory the first time you heard "Light My Fire"? The first time I heard it, I, I really enjoyed it. But as I think, as I've grown older, that's become one of my least favorite songs of the mm. Doors in general. Okay. Uh, yeah, but I remember the first time I heard it, I loved it, and I loved you know. And it was a long song, and, and you know, well, not compared to the end, but but it was one of the longer songs that I had heard. You know, usually you hear a song and it's like two minutes, three minutes, and I was like, oh, well, this song's going on for a while, and, and I really enjoyed it, and it was fun. But I, like I said, as, as I've grown older, I've kind of this is my least favorite of, of the of the songs, and I think because it's, it's the most popular. I think. Well, there you go. It comes back to that whole thing of it being overplayed, so yeah. you know, it's, it's hard to assess. Uh, completely objectively yeah I, think I, yeah I think I remember you know even before I got into the doors before I really sort of heard of them or knew who they were uh, when I was a kid um, on one of our radio stations here a lot of them I don't know uh, there was um, a guitar player singer called Jose Feliciano and he'd done a version of uh, Light My Fire and for years that was the only version that I knew I think until you know, I actually got into um, uh, got given this greatest hits album I thought, oh wow <laughs> so this is where it, it, it seems incredible because I've been into you know, pop music for you know, quite a few years before I got hold of that album but really truth be known uh, the, the, the Doors revival hadn't started that, you know, that song I don't think we really had a golden oldies station yet. Everything was, you know, we hadn't started looking back. Um, you know, I never, I never took the, the time to listen to the Jose Feliciano uh, version. Is it, it's, it's uh, like more Spanish folky, right? Is yes, it? yes, absolutely. It's, um, uh, there's a, uh, I, I guess you might sort of call it, we had a radio station here for a while that would play it years later. It was like what we call a beautiful music station. So, you know, it's a lot of light and easy listening. It tended to get played on there. And um, you know, regardless of what you might think of some of that light and easy music, I didn't, I didn't mind it. I mean, I haven't heard it in years, but um, 
it's, you know, certainly a, a world away from the Doors version, but it doesn't do it a disservice. So, I mean, okay, uh, check it out. It's probably on YouTube or yeah, somewhere, yeah. Like, somewhere like that. But, um, yeah, for, as I said, for years, that was the only version I was, <laughs> um, I was aware of. Um, now, uh, yeah, look, I, I guess because it's been... It's so famous. I, I, I sort of feel, in some ways, there's probably not much of value that I can really add to it. But um, I guess probably the only other thing that we can say about it is a, a bit of trivia that maybe you know, one person on the planet who hasn't, who may not know. Um, we were talking before about break on through and the censorship of the word high, but um, uh, this is one case where the band were going to get their way, and I think they were supposed to appear on the Ed Sullivan show. And yeah. you know, he was doing a really big show. And uh, he, he, you know, I think either Ed or his producer said, Look, you know, we love the song, we want you to do it, but don't sing that word high. And of course, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But, yeah. Yeah, but of course, he, he ended that's, up. That's the first thing he did. <laughs> yep. So uh, he was a real troublemaker. And I, I got to thinking about this because um, not even you know, the real bad boys of rock and roll, the Rolling Stones, they went into uh, on the. Um, the Ed Sullivan show and they they fell into line they went and said we don't want you to sing let's spend the night together we want you to sing let's spend some time together and you know they rolled their eyes but they fell into line and you know Jim's a badder boy than Mick Jagger I think I think it was a drug I think he was just he, he forgot I think <laughs> uh, no I think he was a bad boy I think, <laughs> it, was, I think it was a real bad boy we, actually there's um, well, I, I, now it's probably good a time as anything to, so I think years ago I I think, you know, after I'd first gotten into them, um, a friend of mine went and loaned me uh, what, I don't, I don't know, there might be lots of biographies on, on the doors, but this was the big one at the time, No One Here Gets Out Alive, yeah. written by a guy called Danny Sugarman. And yeah. I, I think it might have been in this book that there was some, I don't know if it was a government body that was doing an anti-drug campaign. And of all he asked Jim Morrison to do <laughs> a radio ad that was telling kids don't do drugs, don't do that. Good. I um, think I think it was I think it was this book. I think I remember reading that. And uh, just I laughed out loud reading this section. They never end up they couldn't end up using it because he would end up saying things like, Hi kids, Jim Morrison here, and I'm here to tell you don't take <laughs> crack. You know, sniff cocaine, maybe, and uh, shoot up, but don't take it. And the, uh, Jim, no, that's not the message we're trying to get. Oh, right, 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 okay, well, we'll give it another try. And every time he'd you know, continuously fuck it up by, you know. Uh, but uh, he, was, he was what we would call down here a piss taker. So um, I have a feeling that uh, that was the same sort of thing he was doing on um, the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, yeah, right, man, yeah, we won't sing. Um, I couldn't get much higher. Um, yeah, right. So, uh, <laughs> he's a, he was a bad boy. Yeah, yeah, he was. So, all right, so, um, what would be side two of the vinyl? Um, and this really is a song I love. And, um, uh, another cover, um, on the album, but, you know, a world away from the Alabama song. You know the day uh, this night. is, uh, Backdoor Man, written by... Man, that they call the poet of the blues, Willie Dixon, because it's like that house bass player, house songwriter, chess records. And, um, you know, probably, you know, one of the two great songwriters at chess records, him and Chuck Berry. Um, 
Uh, We're chasing. I think this might have originally been done by uh, Howard Wolf. Uh, but uh, this version is different again. But to me, certainly one of the great blues singers yeah. of all time. Um, you know, it was absolutely anything that the Wolf did. You know, it was absolutely amazing. That that voice there in Hubert Sumlin's great guitar playing. Um, I just sort of seen him as one of the great singers of uh, blues or, or contemporary styles. And, I think I've got an album that uh, Willie Dixon did, might have done in the 70s, um, uh, where he basically took back a lot of the songs that he'd gone and written for other artists to do into his own version. Um, and uh, he, he, the album, I think, opens up with Backdoor Man, and it didn't have the power that, that uh, for me, that... Um, either Howlin' Wolf did or certainly that The Doors did. Uh, were you familiar with um, any of the other versions? Yeah, yeah, definitely the, the Howlin' Wolf one. Um, I think I'd seen a documentary on Howlin' Wolf and I'm like, oh, well, that's, that's The Doors. What, what's going on? This is a Doors song. And I'm like, nope, nope, it's a, it's a Willie Dixon Howlin' Wolf song <laughs> before it was a Doors song. And I definitely, this is one of the cases where I could say, I definitely like the Howlin' Wolf version a little better. Mm, mm. Just, just a little bit better. Yeah. I, 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 look, I mean, I love them. I love them both. I mean, probably, I guess you know, I, I'm no, I'm no purist, but I guess I tend to like the Howlin' Wolf version a, just maybe a tad better because of his voice there. But there's, there's, um, there's something about how sleazy uh, the Doors do it that um, really grabs it in for me. And I think you know the Howlin' Wolf version, and maybe Willie Dixon's original lyric as interpreted by Howlin' seems to you know talk about well you know, the whole concept of the backdoor man was the guy who came in uh, you know, via, you know, literally via the back door to have the affair with the married woman yeah. while while the husband was away or in the front room doing whatever he was doing yeah. whereas in, in Jim Morrison's hand it's you know, something different yet again yeah. Um, but um, yeah, just that extra sleaze factor that uh, um, that yeah, that uh, really makes it interesting. And you can imagine all the uh, fifteen and sixteen-year-old girls who are buying this record <laughs> based on you know, Morrison's good looks hearing this sleazy song yeah. about uh, you know, anal sex. Yeah, um, it definitely, it definitely, he definitely um, took it quite literally to Morrison. He certainly did. Yeah. I love that uh, lyric, you know, you men eat your dinner, eat your pork and beans. I eat some more chicken any man ever seen. Uh, <laughs> and I've, I've read something, you know, for years I was thinking, oh, is this literal? Is this literal? But of course, you know, I think the interpretation is, you know, your pork and beans are your, like you know, your meat and potatoes, you know, just what you have at home. But, you know, chicken, I never really thought of chicken as being that exotic, but, you know, I guess in the context of the song, maybe it is. I know, it's weird that he, I guess he didn't have a lot of chicken growing up or something. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's, uh, the, 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 um, the, the, the exoticness of chicken, the exoticness of that affair. Um, but I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe chicken is an exotic food. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, no, a, a really great song. Um, and, uh, you know, probably along with uh, um, Roadhouse Blues and Love Me Two Times from uh, their second album, probably the bluesiest thing that I can think of that they did. Um, well, maybe I guess apart from all of LA Woman, which is a pretty cool yeah. album. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, no, yeah, great song. And uh, 
I like I like how you say this. Um, all right, so we go on to um, yeah, another one of the filler the filler songs, and actually, really, in in some ways, I think that the rest of side two of the album is just filling time until they get to the end. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I looked at I looked at you. I mean, I looked at you. You looked at me. I smiled at you. You smiled at me, and we're on our way. Well, this is yeah. Not, not exactly um, going to go down as a uh, great move, probably uh, oh, yeah. in, the, in the vein of Love, Love Me Do. Yep, so, yeah. Definitely one one of the songs you kind of forward. And when you're listening to your on your iPod, you, you're like, oh, I'll go to the next song. <laughs> yeah, um, I, 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 I don't know if they recorded any uh, or many extra songs that ended up as B-sides on singles, but I think that's probably like a, a B-side type thing. Yeah, um, it, yeah. Um, we'll go on to the next one, End of the Night. Um, definitely it's still fill a bit up, but I like this one. I love the uh, this freaky opening Krieger, Robbie Craig guitar chord, and very distorted. Uh, and musically, it sounds like it could appear in a ghost film. Yes, I, 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 that's exactly what I was just going to say. Definitely like a, a horror movie uh, song. And th- this is one of the, like you said, a filler song. And uh, this is one I actually enjoy. And. Um, Definitely has a really creepy feel to it. Mm, mm, definitely. Is that something you think you could use if you were making a ghost film? Oh yeah, if I had two million dollars to to buy the song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I once saw uh, an interview with John Densmore, and he was uh, you know, brutally honest. I think I was saying, so how do you feel about uh, this Doors revival? And he took out his wallet and said, "I'm a very happy man." So, um, not, uh, not for him to say, oh, well, I'm glad to see that our legacy has been kept alive. No, he just yeah. went down to that point, which, I mean, yeah, well, you know, a lot of musicians, they don't have super emulation plans, so. Yeah. So why not? Uh, but, yeah. yeah, no, great song. Great song, Matt. Um, take it as it comes. Yeah, this is another bit of a meh. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's really, it's really, it's, it, uh, it's one of the poppier songs on the album as well. And, mm-hmm. and I, I don't care for it too much. No, um, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with the pop, but um, no. I mean, well, even if I want to say anything cool about it, I guess it's like this little, cool little organ song that Ray Manzarek does it for some reason reminds me of Bach more rhythmically than melodically, but uh, his classical origins certainly show up on that. Um, and uh, when, when it gets to the third verse where there's the, the drum and bass um, uh playing there's definitely a bass player on this this is not um a keyboard bass on this yeah um yeah. And, and certainly the um i'd say the bass uh, the, the the feel that the uh, that uh densmore and whoever's playing bass on this have has a bit of a spanish feel to it which i really like um but um then you know morrison has to ruin it by singing lines like take it as it comes <laughs> specialize in having fun really that that really is a what were you thinking type moment yeah, I could, I, I could, I, I could say, I think I could have done without. I looked at you on this album, and yep. and I don't know, that's toss up. Maybe take it as it comes. One of those two songs I could have done without on this album, and mm-hmm. it would have, I think, would would have made a much better album. Yeah, but um, still, anyway, we 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 are with it. <laughs> if uh, the company were to say, well, we're going to re-release the album, and we're going to just take off, you know, these filler songs. And think, oh well, I'm sort of. Fine. It's a bit like listening yeah. to the Beatles' White Album and not playing Revolution Night. That's true. It's, That's it's, true. There. it's part of the history. Yeah. But here we come to the end. Literally. 
literally <laughs> yeah, the, the, the the final song I mean I, I guess this probably holds with you too that you you hear this song and you're thinking of the opening minutes of Apocalypse Now yeah no that definitely that's like I said every time I hear a song I'm like it takes you to a, it takes you to um, to a uh, film moment all the time and and this is a song that that reminds me of that film and um, yep all, all I can think about every time I, I start the song is um, Martin Sheen yes yes and, uh, um, yeah go uh, no I this is this is a song that that is my favorite song of the album like I've said and, and I I anytime it's playing on the radio and they don't edit it down if they play the full the, the full song I can listen to it at any point in the song and just I have to like even if I'm getting out of the car I'll wait to finish the song <laughs> have you have you seen um, uh, video footage of uh, the doors live the Hollywood Bowl yeah where they, yes. where they played this and, and yeah I, Morrison was definitely on something while he was while he was singing this and certainly was while he was yeah. It's a, it's a pretty interesting performance. Um, and this this is probably the song that I guess the fans will discuss and argue the most as to what it's actually about. I mean, on the surface, it, you know, I guess it seems like it's about death. And there's a reference to either person. It's all very psychedelic and trippy. Um, I, I, I know that uh, the uh, rock historian Grail Marcus has written a book um, interpreting the songs of the books. I haven't had a chance to read it. I'd love to know what he actually had to say about it. Have you, yeah, have you, have you read any of his stuff? I, I haven't, but now that you mention it, I'm also, I, I really want to know what he thinks about the song. I believe, like, the, the first the first verse of the song, it, it started out apparently, like you were mentioning, I think the Crystal Ship being about an ex-girlfriend. I've read actually that this song started out as being about a song dedicated to an ex-girlfriend, you know, this is the end, my beautiful friend, of all our elaborate plans, but then it sort of went on being about something completely different, and, uh, um, I, I guess I, I read into it in that first verse, of our elaborate plans, the end, um, I'll never look into your eyes again, um, it sort of sounds like, you know, this is a guy who's singing about, um, approaching death, and he's looking back on his life uh, as not, not being quite fulfilled, or at least he's looking at it with some level of regret. Which, I mean, for, you know, for someone like Jim Morrison, who was you know, in this band, which is going to go places, and, you know, still quite young, um, I find quite interesting that he'd write a lyric like that, or that was his state of mind. Yeah, yeah, and and. I could totally. Uh, it's funny. Uh, I was just talking to somebody about this about about breakups. You know, about yeah. breaking up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend, what have you, and and how sometimes when you're when you're really young, like you, um, it's really over dramatic. Like it, you know, you, years go by and you're like, wow, that wasn't as as painful as I thought. Now that you know, now with time, but but I don't know why it was so like dramatic when it happened. <laughs> And I feel that, I feel like that this is the case for the song. Like it, it was, I'm sure it was it was over a breakup, based on you know based on the lyric and stuff. And, and it definitely it, it, it's really like over the top, but I love it. And I love I love the lyrics and I love the music. And it's definitely uh, a fun song. And and again, uh, fun because I love that depressing, you know, sad music. And and this is uh, this is like this is the song in this album that's the most depressing. 
it, it, it's it's really unusual that uh, a song can still uh, attract you in, like as you say, you, know, you don't want to get out of the car. It's, 11, it's essentially, with a couple of you know, moments of exceptions, it's, it's essentially an 11-minute song played around a D minor chord, um, and somehow they you know, managed to make it work. I mean, look, I remember that. I, I think in my early 20s, they so were playing, playing in a band, and we'd, you know, we'd be playing on this song for, for absolute ages, and when it got sort of to that orgasmic build-up that they work towards. I remember you know, on one time playing it, you know, hitting my hand accidentally with, uh, with hitting my left hand with the right drumstick uh, and I was in a hell of a lot of pain but it was just, you, you get in the zone of that song and you can't stop and you know, I thought, well, we'll finish and I'll, I'll shout fuck later on when we're finished. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, look, I really do love the musical build-up. It's one of those things which is, it's played very loose but not sloppily, if that makes sense. No, no, that, that totally makes sense. That totally um, makes sense. It's um, it it really does sound like the musical equivalent of a of a of a drug rush or or maybe you know having an orgasm or something like that. Once the once the band sort of once Jim stops singing and it builds up and up, that's that's yeah that bit I can listen to absolutely over and over again and um, a pretty amazing way to end the album. And we haven't even yeah. talked about we haven't even talked about Oedipus. Actually, I, th- I, I don't want to go too much more into the lyric because we could probably talk about that for ages, but one story I think I do want to relate, and then once again, this is from, I think, that Danny Sugarman book, where, like, you know, Morrison was, you know, pretty laid back and, you know, it seemed like nothing really amazed him. You know, he just took everything in his stride. But I think I read this one story about even he stepped back in surprise. The band went and played somewhere in South America. And they were playing this venue it was full of males. And when it gets to the Oedipus line, you know, Mother, yeah. I yeah. want to kill you. Oh, no, sorry, Father, I it's want father, to kill yeah. you. Mother, I want... And then the whole audience sang the lyric back to him. And wow. I think it, it, in this book, it, it even freaked Morrison out. You think, wow, yeah. <laughs> this, this whole venue is full of you know, uh, Oedipus... Men with Oedipus complexes. Um, <laughs> I think he found it very, uh, very scary. So, um, so yeah. So that's yeah. The end. The end of the album. The end of our discussion on on um, that album. Do you have any um, any sort of afterthoughts about the album? Anything that we hadn't mentioned, like overall thematically about the album or its contrasts or anything? No, no. I just like I said, this is. Um, I, it's funny. I, I I said earlier that I would take one of the songs out, but you're you're totally right. Like. I mean, if it wasn't for all these songs being on here, it, it just, it definitely, especially li- not listening to it on a record, listening to it on a CD or iPod, mm. you could definitely like fall asleep to it. And it definitely, it, it takes you here, there, you know, it, it's, I, I like the fact that, um, that it's not one note. It's, it's just like their, all their albums, all the songs here, uh, have a different tone. They, they get, they get poppy, they get serious. Mm, and mm. uh and yeah you, you you're right i i take back the fact that i would i would take a song out of this album mm. yeah cool you you changed my mind oh hey mission accomplished um actually so one actually one more point i will bring up this is not about the album per se but just in terms of what you were saying a few minutes ago about uh melodrama and um i, I guess you know some songs being over the top uh the previous episode uh, myself, Jeff Smith, and John Stirrett, um, 
we covered the album The Horrible Crows, or Elsie by The Horrible Crows, a side project from uh, Brian Fallon of the Gaslight Anthem. Mm -hmm. And those two guys absolutely love that album and and really, I never got on board to the whole Gaslight Anthem thing. Uh, and this maybe even less so in a way. And I think part of what my problem with the album, as I said in that show, was a lot of the songs, besides sort of having these uh, over-the-top lyrics about heaven and hell and the angels and, and the like, um, I, I found the, the guy was so absolutely miserable. Every every song was about, you know, regret about losing his his woman, the love of his life, and it was everything was life or death uh, in terms of um, the relationship that he had with uh, uh, with the the object of his affection. And uh, Jeff went and asked me the question. Said, "Let me ask you this: Have you ever had your heart stepped on, broken, crushed, put through the grinder?" And I thought, okay, maybe it was a fair point in, explana- in explaining why Brian Fallon wrote what he did. And yet, one of my favorite Heartbreak albums, and maybe that's a topic for the list, um, Heartbreak heartbreak song, uh, was Beck's Sea Change album. And yeah, you know, he takes, uh, he, he took you know, a miserable time in his life. You know, he had this really, you know, according to all reports, this bad breakup with someone who he loved and turned it into an album of uh, true beauty and you know, it, it never it never seemed as melodramatic or as self-pitying as as the horrible crows album did um, i don't know no, no, is, yeah, is it possible to do that do you think i i think you know what it's funny that you i actually just listened to that that uh, episode okay and and i totally agree with you and i, I agree with you because even like look at heartbreak. Like when you when you break up with somebody, you go through it at different stages. So I I do as much as I love depressing music and depressing uh, singers songwriters. When there's a good album and it's a depressing album, it goes places. Even within the depressing uh, genre, it goes places because even when you break up, you you have that that time in your life when you're angry, and then when you're so it it's it's a different shade of of uh, of of. Um, of that color, if that makes any okay. sense. Yes, it certainly um, does. It it um it, it's not all you know. It's not all blue. It's there's there's royal blue. There's there's all these little um subgenres uh, w- even within that. The fact mm. that that at some point you get mad. At some point you, you're you're breaking things. At some point you're drinking, and then you're kind of happy for a bit, and then yes. you remember, oh, I just broke up, and then you're back to depressing. So we should, I think, a, a really good depressing breakup album should or song. Should take you places, you know, mm, up, up mm. down. So, well, yeah, certainly, Sea Change did that for me. And um, as I think I might have mentioned on uh, the previous show, you know, I I really love what Chris Isaac or Roy Orbison do with um, with yes. Misery. Yes. Um, they, yeah, they 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 write heart, they write about heartbreak, but you never really want to slash your wrists after listening. I, I was in in some ways almost fine. Certainly, Roy Orbison life affirming and. You know, also knowing that you know Chris Isaac is, he's a he's a funny guy. Oh yeah, um, no, definitely. I, I've I've heard some uh, interviews with him, and he is um, amazingly funny for for the type of music he makes. He's definitely uh, you wouldn't expect that from him. Mm, mm. All right, okay. Well, what we're going to do now is we're going to go back to uh, another break, 
And uh, when we come back, we'll go straight to uh, Eric Reanimator. He has uh, a segment um, of his, um, well, what what we're dubbing his segment, an album that I love. Uh, And um, you'll hear more about what he has to say, what his album is, uh, after this break. And then after that, uh, Ricardo and I will come back to um, finish off. Uh, You're listening to Love That Album. We'll be back shortly. When you're watching movies, are you sick of remakes, reboots, reimaginings, reinventions, and Reese Witherspoon? Are you fed up with movies where giant robots try to remake Enter the Dragon? Do you think that torture porn is vastly inferior to 1970s drive-in porn? Do you find Botox actresses with fake tits and action heroes with no chest hair a turn-off? Do movies where no single shot lasts more than two and a half seconds piss you off. Yeah, me too. That's why I do Paleo Cinema Podcast, a podcast for films more than 20 years old. So if you think the Cinturis is a guy and that Myrna Loy is a kind of metal, you need Paleo Cinema Podcast. Go to paleo-cinema.com and do yourself a favour. Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. I want two, I want two, three, four. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator. In the waking hours of some not too distant morning, you come walking barefoot to this cowboy mine, selling yesterday's dreams wrapped in tomorrow's paper. Whistling for a dog named kindness that you'll never find It's a cold hard world, love These are cold hard times These are cold hard times Good day all, Eric Reanimator here Today to talk about an album that I love Today's album is Cowboy in Sweden by Lee Hazelwood. Lee Hazelwood started his career in the late 50s as a disc jockey and the partner of instrumental guitar legend Dwayne Eddy. During the 1960s, he wrote and produced music with Nancy Sinatra, writing such classics as These Boots Are Made for Walking, Some Velvet Morning, and my personal favorite of their collaborations, Sand. 1970 found Hazelwood headed to Sweden, where he worked in film and television and continued to record music, including the album we're going to talk about, A Cowboy in Sweden. Let's take a listen. What you do when you're my land, I'll believe my son. You better run. 
because of a group from Sweden called the Coffin Shakers. They're a vampire country band. They big Johnny Cash influence and a big Lee Hazelwood influence. And while visiting Sweden and hanging out with various members, they all talked about Lee Hazelwood in this album. What I like about this album is that you have some cheesy Herb Alpert kind, brass kind of compositions. You've got some duets. You've got some folk, you've got some psychedelic stuff going on, but mostly you have Hazelwood's vision in his voice. I think he was one of those great outsider musicians who was maybe a little too country for rock, a little too rock for country, a little too out there for the mainstream. Cowboy in Sweden is an album that I consider essential, so we're going to go out here with a little bit of my favorite track off the album, it's called No Train to Stockholm. Enjoy and I'll catch you all later. One night Johnny sang the truth to me On a northbound train from Nashville, Tennessee Taught me all the letters in a loan Sang freedom is where you think it is But there ain't no train to Stockholm Received your invitation to the war 
I sent it back, so please don't send no more. I'd rather rot in some jail all alone. Singing freedom is where you think it is, but there ain't no train to Stockholm. Okay, thanks, Eric, for another wonderful segment of an album that I love. Uh, yeah, look, the only Lee Hazelwood uh, material that I have is um, his album Nancy and Lee. Yeah, I, I guess the common consensus is that side one of that album is um, pretty ordinary, but uh, side two has uh, some really great songs uh, on there, and I, I think I'd definitely go along with that consensus. And like you, Sand is a wonderful, wonderful tune, uh, and the other really big one for me is uh, Sundown, Sundown, um, which I think uh, Ben Vaughan might have done uh, a cover version of. I'll have to look that up and confirm that. I'm pretty sure he did. But, uh, yeah, certainly uh, Lee Hazelwood, yeah, great singer. And um, certainly he reminds me of a, a folk singer uh, from the 60s, Fred Neal, who's probably best known for having written Everybody's Talking from from Midnight Cowboy, although I, I, it's um, Harry Nelson's version that appears in Midnight Cowboy, but uh, Fred Neal responsible for writing that great song. And um, yeah, Lee Hazelwood, for some reason, his voice reminds me that uh, sort of uh, you know, bass baritone, we can't escape from baritones tonight, that uh, whole bass baritone thing uh, that uh, Fred Neal does and reminds me of Lee Hazelwood or you know, vice versa. But yeah, Cowboy in Sweden, sounds like a, a great album there, uh, Eric, and uh, I really love the sample, so I think that's going to have to be one I uh, track down. All right. Anyway, uh, you've been listening to uh, episode 21 of uh, Love That Album. Ricardo and I had a great discussion about uh, The Doors' first album there. Uh, I've really enjoyed having you on the show and hope that this is not the last time that uh, you come on. Um, oh, no. This is this is so fun. This is I, 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 That's what I like about, about your show is that that where I kind of, on our show, we just kind of glaze over, you know, top, top five. You kind of, like... You know, just dive in deep into one album, and and that's that's really fun. Well, you know, without wanting, I, I don't know if you have this expression over there, but without wanting to sound like I'm pissing in your pocket, I I, I really love the sort of the immediacy, and I listen to you know what you talk about on the list, and I think, oh, what can I can I write down my top five songs in that you know in as quick time as as I can, <laughs> or you know, it's just I love the challenge that, that 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 presents, and it must be so much fun, you know, the the four of you every week, you know, and it, I mean. I take it that none of you, well, obviously, uh, listen wherever you, you know, wherever you say, damn it, that was my number one. Um, yeah. So obviously, yeah. none of, none of you know what the other ones picked, but, um, obviously, um, whoever's on, on the, uh, desk, uh, does know, or, or they just play. Yeah. No, Jenny's no, file even, number five or. Yeah. Well, Jenny, um, Jenny usually plays the clips and. Okay. We, we usually, uh, don't, leave the titles of the song because since we make the, the clips shorter we make them like into like 30 40 minute clips we only put um like ricardo five ricardo four or, okay you know. so we she even she doesn't know what's gonna be playing oh well that, that's so much fun no, well yeah. um so no well look i'm really congratulations on getting you know, not just one but two podcasts out on a weekly basis i i struggle to sort of think how do i do this every two <laughs> weeks and you get two podcasts a week plus with all your filmmaking duties. So, uh, um, no, that's a really yeah. wonderful thing. So, um, thank you. And, and, and for all the listeners, uh, stay tuned because, uh, Morris will, will, will be on our show 
uh, soon, soon. So stay tuned and uh, yeah, I'm 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 counting down the minutes. Um, definitely, that's uh, something I've been angling towards for a while. Any uh, other podcasts or or uh, filmmakers or musicians? Anyone that you want to give a bit of a shout out to who um, might be listening to this? Uh, I mean, I mean, or, you if, want to give if, a pro- if, or is there a podcast that you think my listeners um, need to be aware of that they should uh, be checking well, out? Um, I'll, 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 I'll put a plug in for, for my shows. If you, if you like, uh, films and you like, uh, four guys talking about, geeking out about films, uh, we have the same, the same format, but with film, it's called the list film podcast. And we basically, again, pick a topic, uh, a film topic, and then we list our top five, either films, directors, actors belonging to that topic. And we usually have some pretty decent guests. We've had on some, uh, some, some like writers, an, an actor and yeah, so. Mm. It's pretty. It's pretty diverse. So, how do you approach your people? I mean, are they always people that you've met through, you know, your time working in film, or have you approached people that you don't know through their agent, or approach them directly? How does it work? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I was born and raised here in LA, and and I know enough people that know people. So, okay. and also like my girlfriend's an actress, and she knows some writers, and so basically, it's people that we know through through. Uh, films we worked on or like uh friends like we we have um a couple of the guests we've had on we've had the writer of uh like piranha the new piranha movie and okay uh, yeah yes yeah. I, I heard that one i did hear that one yep yeah and uh so he was a friend of my girlfriend's he my girlfriend worked on a on a film of his and then like we have somebody something like um jonathan Lubnicki, who's uh the young kid from uh jerry Maguire, mm. and we're, we're just friends with him so uh, he oh, agreed cool. to, to be on the show yeah, wow. that must be uh, that must be such a good thing, you know, being being in the industry and getting access to uh, to a lot of these sorts of people. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully, you know, this coming this year we'll have a lot more guests and uh, people you recognize. So. Mm. Cool. All right. Well, um, I'm going to give the uh, shout out to uh, the usual um, assortment of of uh, podcasts that I like to listen to. So we'll start out with uh, Silver and Gold. Uh, Piccolo from Dr. Zom. I don't know if you've uh, had a chance to listen to this uh, show yet, Ricardo, but um, I urge you to do so. Um, okay. What, what's uh, it called uh, again? Uh, Silver, S-I-L-V-A, as in Henry Silver. Silver okay. and Gold. A lot of fun. Really, really fantastic show that uh, Piccolo from Dr. Zom. Dr. Zom's actually appeared on Love That Album a couple of times. And um, once he gets passionate talking about something, I think I've been up like, until about three or four in the morning, with oh, him wow. uh, talking about stuff he loves to talk about, uh, uh, music and films that uh, he's he's passionate about, and um, he has a lot of interesting stuff to say. So, uh, I think every week, Silver and Gold is like a three-hour marathon. So, oh uh, wow, you'll you'll find that um, it, it's it's uh, great if you I don't know if you travel a lot by uh, public transport or whether you just plug in your iPod into your car radio or something like that. But uh, it's a good way to listen. Um, so, yeah, Silver and Gold, uh, their latest episode, as we're recording this, covered uh, a couple of really great films, In the Soup, starring Steve Buscemi and Seymour Cassell. So uh, listen in to that and see what the guys thought of that. And that's, Harold, a, that's a really good film. That's a um, that's a really small, independent film. I can't believe you, uh, it's something you watched. That's oh, crazy. no, no, no. That, well, back in, the, um, back in the early 90s, we got a lot of those um, American indie films, you know, um, the uh, you know, I, you know well, Jim Jarmusch sort of 
became more yeah. than just indie, but you know, we got a lot of his stuff uh, yeah. and got In the Soup and a lot of other sort of similar 90s films. We, we had a couple of cinemas at the time that were um, getting all this sort of stuff in, like on a regular basis. And that was a film I always had a lot of affection for. Um, it, was, it was actually quite strange. I remember when it came out on, on uh, VHS, you know, a short time afterwards, it, it was in colour. And I remember reading after that they filmed it in colour, but for some reason released it in black and white. I, I managed to pick up a second-hand copy on DVD maybe about two years ago, and it was back in black and white. So I was uh, quite happy to have that. But, um, oh, yeah. I, I've only seen it in... Um in black and white. Yeah, if you, if you can track yeah. it down on VHS, it's in color. So oh, wow. uh, very, and, very. I mean, look, it's it's neither here nor there about you know which one being better than the other. But it was just strange because I always had the impression it was filmed in black and white to begin with, but it wasn't. Yeah, sorry, that's, that's what I thought too. And it, it has a young um, Sam Rockwell. If you're a fan of Sam Rockwell, yeah, well, I I, real, I didn't know until I I only recently rewatched it because when I knew that um, uh, Silver and Gold were going to cover it, I thought you know what, I better rewatch it so I can give them some feedback. Uh, quite fresh, and then realized where he was in it. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, he's unrecognizable. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, uh, but yeah, no, it was uh, you know, a young Steve Bashimi. And one of the reasons why I like the film, I like Steve Bashimi's presence in it, is because I think it's one of the few films, at least out of the ones that I've seen, where he's playing the nice guy. I mean, you know, we all sort of know what yeah. he did in The Sopranos and, you know, Reservoir Dogs. And what else? Fargo, Bo- Fargo, Fargo. Hey, every time I've seen him, I just think he's kind of funny looking. Um, <laughs> and um, Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. And it's just sort of nice to see him here as a bit of a naive sort of character. I guess, which is, you can also say about his his role in um, The Big Lebowski. He seems a little bit more, not much more, but a little bit more in control of his destiny here than he is in the Big Lebowski. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, this is this is truly a film that I love. Um, so uh, yeah, download it, have a listen to uh, what uh, the Loaf and the Zom had to say about that particular film. That's uh, the latest episode. Uh, so yeah, Silver and Gold, uh, Paleo Cinema, uh, as done by Terry Frost out of uh, my hometown of Melbourne, uh, and he has a new podcast, as I mentioned last time. That he's uh, he's going to alternate, so he's not he's going to every two weeks Paleo Cinema and every two weeks the Martian Drive-In podcast. So he'll be concentrating specifically on uh, science fiction and fantasy films in Paleo Cinema, which will cover just old films in general. And Terry's a walking encyclopedia of film, um, and, and always has a very entertaining show. Uh, the Mondo Film and Video Guide um, is hosted by Justin Bozong who did the One Trick Pony episode with me a few episodes back. And the good news is Justin, after having a bit of an enforced hiatus, is going to be back in the saddle. Finally, his um, series of episodes uh, covering the films of uh, Jerry Lewis are going to be online. At least the first episode should be on by, I think, well, as we record by the end of this week, but by the time this show is online, the first episode, maybe even more, will have uh, been put online, I urge you to search that out because his uh, previous episodes have been fantastic. And Justin also knows a lot about music uh, and he's about to start uh, a music podcast called, well, if you're in America, it's called Ass to Ass, but if you're in Australia, it's Ass to Ass. Um, <laughs> but either way, however you um, however you want to pronounce it, uh, search for that once uh, it's out uh, because... Um, Justin knows a lot about music and um, I'm sure it'll be a really entertaining program. 
the and of course the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema ggtmc big willie and the samurai uh sort of doing maybe a bit of a, a slightly but not much slightly cleaner version of silver and gold both uh gentlemen love and know their genre film um and uh, i i think their show is seen as being sort of like the uh uh the pinnacle of the crown uh in um in uh, movie circles of uh, great uh, uh, film-related podcasting. If you haven't heard them yet, I urge you to uh, search them out. Very entertaining, and they always pick great films. Or even if even if I'm not always interested in the film that they're going to cover, I'm always interested in what they have to say because they uh, um, yeah, very entertaining, and they know their stuff and very funny. Um, another. Uh, so what else? Oh, and actually, so yeah, a new. Well, new for me. It's not a new podcast but new to me uh better in the dark uh thomas out of uh better in the dark contacted me sent me some feedback about a couple of episodes back and um at the bottom of his email you know the signature was uh that he'd hosted this show better in the dark so i gave that a bit of a listen and uh he and his partner derek um i downloaded you know one sample episode where they were talking about Catherine bigelow and her career um and really really enjoyed that so that's going to be a uh, regular podcast listening for me. Uh, music listening, um, there's uh, Sound Opinions, uh, which I think is really more of a radio show, but I just happen to be able to download it as a podcast. Uh, two guys out of uh, Chicago, um, who uh, they really know their music stuff, but it's very professional, very radio-like, less podcast-like, uh, but um, they still put on a mighty entertaining program, Sound Opinions. Um, I don't know, this show, you might have heard of it, Ricardo called the List Music Podcast. Know anything about it? Uh, I heard of there's a guy there that's a jerk. Yeah, oh, Ricardo. You, you think they're going to go anywhere? I don't. Know. I don't know. Probably. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah. The List Music Podcast and the List Film Podcast. I had to get in another plug for your show. Um, search them out. And finally, uh, my good friend Michael Persh, uh, sitting in a bar in Adelaide, and I love his show because he's always interviewing people who are either they can be doesn't matter to him whether they're famous whether they're obscure whether they're people who sold millions of albums or whether they just basically recorded a, a demo cd for the first time if it's great music that he loves he talks to people he always gets the best out of people uh and he's just done uh as i've mentioned a few times he's just surpassed the 300th episode um so he's been around for a while and he's still passionate about what he does. Um, really exciting for me where a few weeks ago he got hold of, uh, 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 of uh, Fee Wavell of the Tubes, uh, a band out of San Francisco that I'm absolutely crazy about and uh, I found Michael was too. So when he got to in uh, interview Fee Wavell, even if you don't like the Tubes, um, listen to the interview because Fee just talked and talked and talked and because you know he's a veteran of the rock music industry he had a lot of interesting things to say so if you're interested in rock music in general and like to hear great rock and roll stories go search out sitting in a bar in adelaide uh because it was so much uh michael had to make it uh spread it out over two episodes but uh well worth your time searching out i think that pretty much covers it um if you want to send me any feedback Send your emails to rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Uh, join the Love That Album Facebook page. Love to have you come on board and start up a music-related discussion. 
Um, and I think that pretty much covers it. Um, and while you're on there, go search out uh, the um, uh, the List Music Podcast or the List Film Podcast Facebook pages as well. Start up a music discussion there or film discussion there at, at either one of those podcasts. So I think we've pretty much done all the plugs and done all the covers at this stage. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, once again, um, many thanks, Ricardo, for uh, being a part of uh, Love That Album and um, may this be the first time of uh, many. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. All right. And uh, we'll be back on in a couple of weeks. I think uh, the next episode I'll be uh, doing a show with Michael Persh, the aforementioned Michael Persh, and we're actually stealing your list format for that one. Um, oh, I, where, I can't um, wait to hear it. Um, oh, well, uh, well, you'll have to wait till it comes out, but um, we, we, uh, there was a topic that we both thought, hmm, yep, we'd like to cover that, so we're going to do that. Um, but uh, anyway... Uh, Many thanks, listeners, for uh, downloading this. Spread the word to uh, any of your uh, music fan friends, and um, the more people on board, the better. Um, and uh, we'll hopefully keep entertaining you with um, uh, our discussions, our thoughts about uh, uh, great albums. And um, any, if you have any thoughts out there, please pass them on to the Facebook page. and love to hear from you or send them in. All right, all the best, and thanks, Ricardo, and um, we'll be back with Love That Album in a couple of weeks. Cheers. Darling, we could only do And our love become a funeral fire Come on, baby, light my fire Come on, baby, light my fire It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 